0: Please take your Bibles and turn back to First Samuel. First Samuel, chapter one, and find verse nineteen. Oh, let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, we come to your word. We need it. We need the truth. We need to be encouraged. We need to be exhorted from your word this morning. So Holy Spirit, speak to us, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, through your word. And encourage our families here today from the life of Hannah. Please do this for the sake of your glory, Lord, on this earth. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In 1992, Hillary Clinton was asked why she still worked as a lawyer after becoming a mother. She answered, "Quotes, I suppose I could have stayed home and baked cookies and had teas, but I decided to do, but what I decided to do was fulfill my profession. In quotes. Now, what's the message to the mothers from that statement? Here's the message, that rulers of households, that workers at home, that mothers... Who've given their life to their families are duped, brainwashed. They need to get a clue. The culture is telling moms that they are wasting their lives. But now it's worse. Now the culture, mom, isn't just canceling you for your work at home and and your work of laying your life down for your kids. Now the culture is actively coming after your kids after they cancel you, actively. If you're familiar with Minnesota legislation, you would agree. Four, abortion is now legal up to the point of birth in Minnesota, killing our kids, or a child is given custody, it's possible, according to a law, a child is given custody to a court when a parent doesn't provide harmful gender-affirming care. Kidnapping our kids, or proposed legislation in the education bill structures, embedding ethnic studies and divisive critical race theory, brainwashing our kids. So moms, you are warriors. You are on the front lines. The work you do, your sphere of dominion, is furthering the kingdom in ways you and I, I don't think we have even dreamed of yet. Rachel Janakovic says this. I just want you to listen, moms, for a moment. Motherhood is not a hobby, it's a calling. You do not collect children because you find them cuter than stamps. It is not something to do if you can squeeze the time in. It is what God gave you time for. Christian mothers carry their children in hostile territory. When you are in public with them, you are standing with and defending the objects of cultural dislike. You are publicly testifying that you value what God values and that you refuse to value what the world values. You stand with the defenseless and in front of the needy. You represent everything that our culture hates because you represent laying down your life for another And laying down your life for another represents the gospel. In quotes. So mother of dominion, press on. Sister. Press on. Be encouraged. And in order to be encouraged, you can quote Hillary to the cows come home. That's not going to do it. We need to go to the Word of God. So, we go to the life and impact of a mother named Hannah from the Old Testament. First and First Samuel chapters 1 and 2. And we have an astounding portrait here of a godly mother from the life of Hannah. So, I want to pick it up then in verse 19 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. The text says, Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. So remember, Hannah has prayed for this child. She's said, I'm going to give him back to the Lord. And the Lord answered her prayer. And in so doing, in this text, we're going to see four commitments four commitments of godly motherhood from the life of Hannah. Number one is this Hannah commits, it's a commitment. It's a commitment. Hannah commits to instruction during his formation. Hannah commits to instruction during Samuel's formation in his early years. Okay? So let's let's keep reading in verse 21. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer and uh, offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. Okay, so Elkanah had some faults, but he did lead his family to worship, uh, the text would indicate. But Hannah didn't go up this time to offer the sacrifice. She she stayed behind because she had a little boy. Now, the text uses a word, a specific interesting Hebrew word, as I read on, four times because Samuel is trying... because. Samuel, the author here, is trying to bring something out for us. So let's see if you can guess that word as I read. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household, Okay, but Hannah, verse 22, did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah said to her her husband said to her, do what seems best to you, remain until you have weaned him, only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Uh, Verse 24, now when she had, I think we get the point, (laughs) when she had weaned him four times, emphatically the author is showing us one word, and the word is weaned. Hannah devoted her life to weaning Samuel. Hannah devoted her life to the complete care of baby Samuel in his early formative years. In that culture, this weaning process isn't about breastfeeding. It's, it's, a whole, it's a whole process of parenting. It would last in that culture, listen to this, three to five years. Why is this emphasized in this text? Well, I don't think it's all about um, milk. It is about another kind of feeding, another kind of nurturing that is going on during this time. Hannah was committed to nurture Samuel, to raise up Samuel, to train Samuel, to teach Samuel, to, yes, feed and clothe Samuel during these early formative years for three to five years. She knew that she had a short period of time that when he was weaned, he would be, what? In the seminary of Hannah's school of theology for three to five years. And then she would be sent in full-time ministry at a young age. And She committed to spend time with her son, to invest in him, to teach him about the Lord of hosts. And as the fruit of Samuel's life bears out, Hannah did not waste her time. And you ask, what impact could Hannah really have for a little kid toddling around for three to five years? Well, even the so-called secular experts tell us that 90% of the personality is formed by age three. So Hannah is a a fixture in Samuel's life. She's investing her energies in his young life. And so Hannah is there. She is enjoying every second of it. She knows she's going to give him to the Lord. Teaching him to walk and teaching him to talk and pulling that piece of clothing over the arm and Diaper over the bottom, reciting scripture, watching him sleep soundly, snuggling with him, whispering in his ear, tickling him, and soon... The time would come when he would be out of her arms. and So she had work to do. She had to teach him and instruct him about Yahweh, about the Lord, to train him during these formative years to prepare him for a lifetime of service. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Or in Proverbs 22, verse Verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. The wisest of women builds her house. Proverbs 14, verse 1. Moms, here's what we can learn from the life of Hannah. It's a tremendous privilege to spend this time. To spend this early time. During the formative years, being with your children, training your children, resisting their rebellion, teaching about the gospel, teaching them the nature of obedience and honor to parents and authority, and all of those things in ages one through five. And I think if we recognize how important those years are from four to eight, then, then maybe the years 14 to 18 would be a little bit different. Pastor Jeff, how much can be accomplished by age five? I think a lot. A lot by God's grace. Tripp tells a story of a man named Howard. Now Howard was the father of a boy, a little boy, who had suffered brain damage in infancy. And Howard really didn't know how much his son could understand uh, really at all, And but he still talked to him about the Lord. And at age three and a half, this little boy still couldn't speak. But his dad, Howard, and his mom as well, continued to teach him and to tell him about the Lord and to speak into his life, to pray with him, and to shepherd him, to love him, and all of those things. And Tripp writes, quotes, One day the lad required correction and discipline. Howard was perplexed as he tried to explain, not knowing how much his son could grasp. As he grew more frustrated with, his, with the communication process, Um, trying to communicate to his little boy who hadn't even spoken yet. In the middle of that, his son intervened and he spoke at age three and a half. First time. And his first words were, pray, Daddy. He had understood way more than he thought. Brothers and sisters, our children understand much more than we think. Moms, let me, let me, let's, let's see how this works. Raise your hand if you remember your mom pulling your um, little toddler outfit over your plump little leg. No hands are going up. Don't remember it. Or putting your diaper on. Fastening your velcro on your shoe. Anybody remember that? Hey, we have we have a taker here. Yes. It's maybe it's currently happening. (laughs) Hubbard writes, quotes more is happening in the small moments of motherhood than meets the eye. Much more is happening in the small moments of motherhood. And he goes on to say, an imperfect but God-fearing woman builds her house. She becomes for her children wisdom's first face, first voice, first touch. Through her daily presence, children learn what wisdom looks like and feels like. Close quotes. Moms, it's, it is discouraging. They don't even remember. They won't remember any of the effort. But I'm telling you, so much is happening in those small moments with your children during those formative years. And Hannah committed her time and effort to train little Samuel during his most formative years. He was weaned. He was weaned. He was weaned. He was weaned. It was her great privilege to do so. So the first commitment is formative, is that instruction during formative years. But her time had come to an end. The year was up. So read verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a 3-year-old bull and 1 ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh although the child was young okay and that leads us then to the second commitment because she takes him to the house of the Lord the second commitment of godly motherhood from the life of Hannah number 2 Hannah commits to stewardship toward his release Stewardship towards his release. So Hannah commits to releasing her child to God and being a steward in the meantime. That is a commitment of a godly mother. Okay. Let's look at uh, chapter 1, verse 11, flip back, just to remember the context here. She made a vow and had had said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. And so Hannah intended to devote Samuel to full-time service, In the tabernacle, this was what's called the Nazarite vow, not cutting his hair, a sign of complete consecration to God. And it was going to do that. And the time was ready now. We pick it up in verse 25. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. So now they're in the temple. They bring the boy to Eli, the priest, who didn't restrain his boys. Samuel means to contrast the parenting of Hannah with Eli and, the, and, Hophnia and Hophni and Phinehas as well, but you can read that later. Verse 26, she said, Oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, verse 27, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him, so I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. When you are reading the Bible, you're looking for repeated words, weaned, and you come here to this and you're seeing a repeated word, Hannah prayed, for this child I prayed. It's the Hebrew word asking. It's used four times here. But the asking is summarized with the dedicating. Twice, this unique phrase, he is dedicated to the Lord. Verse 28, he is dedicated to the Lord. And the New Jerusalem Bible renders this clause really, really well. This word means he is made over to Yahweh. Think about this, moms. Here is a philosophy of parenting for motherhood. You're making your kids over to Yahweh. You're dedicating them to the Lord. You ask for these kids. God, they are God's kids. He gives them to you for a season. You are a steward of God's kids. And your whole goal is to give them back to the Lord. It's your whole goal of parenting. To give them over to the Lord. Now, I get it. This is a, I understand this is a unique event in redemptive history. And Samuel is God's specially chosen instrument. And you're not really bargaining with God and all of this stuff and giving them over at age four. But there's principles here. So let's just let that go. Certainly we don't give our boys up to a monastery or something like that. There's a principle here. There's a commitment here as parents, our children, our answers to prayer. They are, every one of them. And yet, and yet, they're not ours. They're God's. And He's entrusted us. We're stewards of them. He's given them to us for a season so that we can help them go after God, their Creator, to give them back to God. This is really a commitment of a godly mother. Like Hannah, godly parents, godly mothers should vow before the Lord and solemnly commit that each child would be made over to Yahweh. This is why we're raising our kids We are not raising kids to create profitable members of society. I could care less if my boys are godly garbage men who do it well, love their wife, love their kids, find a church, and see that they're part of a big vision to bring the gospel to the nations. I could care less. We are not about raising world-class athletes and profitable members of society. We're not raising up kids so they can be our hired hands. Actually, I might delete that one, but um, let's move on to the next one. We're not raising our kids that they would discover the cure for cancer and travel the world and make billions of dollars. If they do it, we got to tell them why. Why have they been blessed of God? Sometimes I wonder, dads, and I'm looking in the mirror, probably more than most of you by this statement. I sometimes wonder if we care more about our boy's baseball swing than his love for Jesus. No, we must decide as parents that they're not ours. We have them for a time and we are dedicating and giving them over to the Lord. Nothing else matters to me, really, For my parenting, then my nine children know and love the God of the universe that they are made over to God. I thought you were a sovereign grace guy and you're saying these things. Let me say it again. I'll say it again. Nothing else matters to me than all my nine children know and love the God of the universe that they are made over to God. Now, let me help you with this. Listen very carefully and quickly. God is sovereign in salvation. God saves, not me. I mean, we can have a little altar call with all the kids under five, and I can scare them and get them all saved right up here. I get it. God's got to save. But listen to me. The ultimate aim of parenting, is it truly is, Mom and dad, the ultimate aim of parenting is to fulfill my stewardship as a parent such that God is glorified. And you may fulfill that stewardship and still have a child that doesn't ultimately know the Lord. But listen, on the other side of the coin. Now listen, the ultimate aim of parenting is to fulfill my stewardship faithfully that God is glorified. But, but this is different. The right goal for the, for the parent is that right? I can't save the kids, but my goal for my child is different than my goal for myself. And it is an audacious goal, it's a risky goal, and it is this. My goal, the ultimate aim of Christian parenting, the goal for my child, is to so nurture the heart of my child that they leave our authority as those who love God and their neighbor as themselves. That is the goal for my children. So let's think about this. Imagine what it must have been like for Hannah to give up Samuel after all of those years of ridicule from the competitor. And then to have to give him up after three, four, or five years, investing those times, it must have been heart-wrenching. She must have had second thoughts. But her greatest desire was to honor the Lord with her son, to see that her son walked with God. Moms, to do this work, I admit that vision and dreams have to be different than what the world is telling you for your life. And we are mixed bags. We are not fully locked in on that vision as, as sinful human beings, are we? And so there's always a competition in our souls. There's always disappointment. And so we have to ask the question, what is hindering this primary commitment in parenting? What is competing in this culture for our kids' souls and fighting against those aims? Are we too busy, moms and dad pursuing our career or making money? Are we too busy running our kids all over the place that we can worship the Lord together as a family? Are Are we feeding our kids the world more than we're feeding them the word? J.C. Ryle says it well, this is the thought that should be uppermost on your mind in all you do for your children. In every step you take about them, in every plan and scheme and arrangement that concerns them, do not leave out that mighty question, how will it affect their souls? J.C. Rowell says, the chief end of their lives is the salvation of their souls. So I would suggest, mom and dad, that you put this into practice this week, that you, husband and wife, you get together, you go to the coffee shop, you call someone for a babysitter, and you write down a vision for your parenting with the aims of the glory of God for your efforts and the aims of the salvation of their souls for your kids. And you say, what is going to get us there and do a top ten? And then look at it from time to time and ask, is this really our family vision, what we're doing right now? How will this affect their souls? So, moms, be committed to the instruction, their instruction during their formation, and second. Be committed, you are committed to stewardship towards their release, to give your kid back to God, to make them over to God. And it's gonna take work and it's gonna take effort and it's gonna take discipline. But that leads us then to the third, to the third commitment. Number three, Hannah commits to tenderness in her care. Hannah commits to tenderness in her care. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. I read it in the scripture reading. Verse 18, Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod, and his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. What a sad thing. Once a year she would get to see Samuel. Once a year. And she, that year, would be praying for him and thinking of him and measuring his previous piece of clothing and thinking through how much bigger he would get. And she would be then making him a hand, another little outfit, and she would stitch together that new robe for her boy Each year that role would be bigger and bigger and bigger. Can you imagine the trip to go see her boy? The joy and the hugs and the tears with Samuel and that gift of love every year. Moms and dads, we can discipline and we can train and we can vision and we can do this and we can do that. But I'm telling you, if your home is not characterized by gentleness, by love, by care, we're missing the heart of Hannah. The heart of a godly mother, and I've seen it, is tenderness in her care. Never forget this, moms. Never forget the tender heart of Hannah. Now, my grandma, she went home to be with the Lord at age 96. My grandma was like this. When we would go over to her house, my kids would sit by her and line up, pull their arm up like this and hold it by grandma. And grandma would sit there with her long fingernails and she would just mesmerize them scratching their arm. Tickling, their, they're just Frozen. And then there's the picture I have with my kids of little Abby saying, Mommy, sing Jesus Loves Me. Or rocking that three-year-old to sleep after a bad dream for the fourth time that night. Hot chocolate with marshmallows on a very cold winter day. A post-it note on a lunchbox that says, I love you. That—that That is the stuff of motherhood. Tenderness and gentleness. I hope my mom is listening right now. When I went to Michigan Tech, I'm going there. When I went to Michigan Tech, You know, I'm 18 years old, going away from home for the first time. I really missed my mom. My mommy. I did. I missed my mom. Michigan Tech, eight feet of snow, hockey and beer, and that's it. That's all they had up there. I was lonely. And my mom... In my, in my room with my two roommates, my mom had made me a, a poster that said, Jesus loves Jeff at age 18. She apparently wanted me to put it right on the wall, right? <laughs> well, I did put it in my bunk bed, I, I, right by my head, so my pillow would cover it up. And for a while, it was my mission in life to hide that thing. <laughs> my mom didn't make me any outfits, but she did write my name on my clothing in college. All of my clothing. (laughs) It was also my mission in life to hide that as well. (laughs) But I love my mom. Gentle and tender. To this day, I go to her with tears streaming down my face she's 78 years old thanks mom for moms this love year after year outfit after outfit it never fails time and training in the formative years tenderness and gentleness all of the years Instruction during formation, stewardship towards release, tenderness and care. But I'm telling you, all of these commitments are sort of the fruits of one ultimate commitment of a godly mother from the life of Hannah. One ultimate commitment for the, the, the life of every spiritual mother in this room, of every father in this room, and that is this. Hannah commits to joy in her God. Hannah commits to joy in her God. So Hannah prayed with weeping, right? She prayed though, but now she's praying again and look at her prayer in chapter 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, "'My heart exalts in the Lord. "'My horn is exalted in the Lord.'" My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. This is a prayer of praise. This is a prayer of rejoicing. She has already dedicated Samuel to the Lord, given him over to the Lord. And I want you to know this about Hannah. Even in her, even in her weakness, she went to the Lord, and the Lord and the joy of the Lord was her strength. The joy of the Lord is the strength for every godly mother in this room. You want to be a godly mom? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want you to see this. Brothers and sisters, moms, listen to me. You ought to be theologians. You ought to know the Word of God. Because... A shallow knowledge of God may lead to shallow parenting. Look at what Hannah writes. She could have got a master's thesis for this. What I'm about to read. Look at this. And I want you to see that first, there was joy in God's character. God himself, theology proper. God, who he really was. Her parenting. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Look at this. There is no one holy like the Lord. He's holy. Indeed, there is no one besides you. He is set apart. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And with Him, actions are weighed. He's a just and righteous judge. He's omniscient. He's solid as a rock, a firm foundation. He's set apart. He's holy. This is a theology, a a joy in God that starts with who God is, that is the foundation of every godly mother, the foundation for Hannah. And that joy in God's character leads to something else. It always does. That joy in God's character, who he is, leads to joy in God's plan. Because ultimately, the sovereign God, this wise God, has a plan. And so, theology always connects with actual things, with worldview, with God's plan, with Monday morning, and how we live it out. It always does, and it did for Hannah. Check it out in verse 4. Check out her, her joy in God's plan. And how she viewed the events of the world. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to be hungry. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and The Lord makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He set the world on them. And so Hannah has this This joy in God's character that leads to this joy in God's plan and purposes in the world. And all of this, all of this theology and seeing a a big plan of God, all of that joy is ultimately and finally joy in God's salvation that she has. The ultimate fuel for every godly mother is joy in their great salvation. That truly is. That is at the very root of, of Hannah. Let's look at it here. Let's keep reading. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered, verse 10. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. You see, Hannah, Hannah had this big God who is sovereign over the nations, who controlled the nations, was a judge of the nations, who knew everything. And yet, this God of hers would exalt the needy, would come down to the dust where she was in her misery, and would come down here, this transcendent God would come down to her and grab a hold of her and love her and save her and rescue her. He would hear the cry of the feeble, the hungry, the barren, the poor, the needy. Namely me, Hannah says. He's heard my cry. And what's astonishing, oh, trust me, Hannah had better messianic theology than us. For Hannah... In verse 10 says this, and he will give strength to his king, and will. Ex... There's no king yet. He will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. What is astonishing to me that in this time of history, there's no king in Israel, and yet Hannah speaks of God's king and calls him his anointed. This is the first occurrence of this word anointed in this form in the history of redemption in the Old Testament. And this word for anointed one is the word Messiah or Christos in the Greek. Hannah is speaking of the Messiah. She, she knows that the head of the serpent is going to be crushed by the seed of the woman, by this Messiah. And her great hope is that this Messiah was going to rescue her and save her from her sin. A needy sinner like her. And, he, and she is going to raise her boy to serve this one. And the funny thing is, Samuel comes along, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, that we read, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And her boy, right, brings King David into existence and the prophecy of the Messiah and, the, and the, the kingly covenant is made through her boy that she trained. Hannah's the first to mention the Messiah. And then we see Mary come onto the scene and she's told by the angel that she would bear a son who in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he will be great and he will be called Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And then Mary prays a prayer that scholars have said. The prayer of Hannah and the prayer of Mary are virtually thematically identical in the history of redemption. And so, Hannah has a hope of the Redeemer and the great salvation. That ultimately, her joy in a great God with a great plan, a plan that includes a Redeemer to rescue sinners in the dust like her and to redeem a people. That joy in that God and that plan and that promise of the Messiah, that was her ultimate fuel for every aspect of her godly mothering, the gospel itself. So we have moms, you have a God who exalts the lowly. How do you feel? Do you feel like on top of the world and you're parenting all the time? No, moms are humble, and they're broken, and they're needy, and they're helpless. Most of the time they feel clueless and they're dependent. And so they pray and so they hope in God. And so moms, listen to me today. You are going to fail and sin. You are going to not be gentle when you ought to be. You're going to have some times when your own dreams and and your own honor takes the place of giving your child over to God and I would just humbly say to you the joy of the Lord is your strength and I would just say to you the fuel for you to keep on going is to remember that being in the dust is right where God wants us and that he comes the sovereign God of the world comes into the dust and he has come down and he's taken on this stuff And He has lived a perfect life of gentleness in your place. And He has gone to the cross of Calvary and He's borne all of your sins. And He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. He understands your inconsistencies. He understands your failures. He understands your competing desires. He understands your lack of tenderness. And He loves it in humility. Moms and dads, when we just come before and say, "'I am helpless. I need you, Jesus.'" And the hope of the gospel, the joy of the gospel is this. We're forgiven of it. All of it. Past, present, and future. Every sin is gone. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We have the very spirit of this Messiah from which Hannah prophesied. First in the Old Testament. We have the spirit of the Messiah that lives within us and empowers us. To press on amidst the lying world and the messiness of the homes and it's just too much some days. We have Jesus. We have His Word and we have the Spirit of the Messiah and a great God on our side. So take heart, Mother of Dominion, as you nurture and train your children during the formative years, you've got Jesus. As you want desire to send your children as bright shining arrows into the darkness, remember you've got Jesus. If you're struggling with tenderness and gentleness, remember you've got Jesus. You've got one who exalts the lowly. So take heart. As Chansky says well, we may have to wait a while for a good and faithful servant. Kids, listen well. Honor your mom today. I know you don't remember getting the foot put on, but she's done it day in and day out. Moms, in the meantime, as Chansky says, good and faithful mommy who's taking the rugged path of selfless obedience, walk with your head held high, for you are stepping in his noble footprints. And be assured they lead to rich joy and everlasting glory. Happy Mother's Day.